following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, back in the early, early days of Artisan, and actually until just a few years ago, uh, Tracy and I lived with our boys in a house over on University Avenue. Some of you had occasion to visit us over there when we lived there. And it was next to a couple of other houses that were owned by other artisan people. And we had a huge shared backyard, which we called the Big Backyard, with capital B's on both words. The Big Backyard. Maybe less affectionately, it became known as the Commune, but we don't need to describe why. Um, that, I just realized that sounded way worse than I intended it to, but anyway. Um, <laughs> we spent a lot of time together in that, in that Big Backyard. Cookouts campfires, late-night conversations. We probably even had a staff meeting or two or 50 back there when the weather was nice. The first ever Cider Days festival was held back there before it ever had a name, when it was just, let's make apple cider in the backyard. All the best traditions start with just, let's do something fun. And then you think, that was really fun, let's do that again. And then it's a tradition. I think we might even have written Artisan's mission statement and foundational values sitting on a, around a picnic table in that backyard. And one of the things that I remember the most, um, because it really affected the way the place felt, was um, we had these utility wires that went over the yard at a, at a diagonal from a pole way back on another, another lot up to the, the two houses that were there on the corner of University and Arlington. And along those utility lines, cable and telephone, um, was a grapevine. And when we first moved there, you could just barely see it peeking over the shed at the neighbor's house. And then year by year, it grew longer and fuller. And pretty soon, I mean, as time is measured when you're an adult, pretty soon, 10 years later... um, (laughs) It covered, at a diagonal, the whole yard, and it provided this beautiful shade for us. And, and gra- I don't know if you've seen grape leaves, right? They're very beautiful. It was, it was uh, as I said, it, it, it gave you a sense of the feel of the place. When I think back to sitting in that yard, I often think of the grapevine that went right over our heads. Now, I don't remember which of the children it was, whether it was one of mine or maybe one of... Uh, Jason's. Uh, Jason, who was one of our founding pastors, uh, lived in one of the houses there, there nearby. Um, as I think of the children it could have been, it could have been any of them. But one of them once said, I want to eat the grapes from the grapevine. And we said, you know, these are wild grapes. You're probably not going to enjoy them. But in the summer, kids love to eat grapes. That's all they know. They want grapes. They were little. Whoever it was, was little. And um, as you might know, sometimes the best way for people, not just for children, but for people of all ages, to learn how dumb something is that they want to do, (laughs) is to let them do it. And so we let them eat a grape from the wild grapevine. It was about that big. (laughs) Um, And as you can imagine, it was disgusting, and the kids spit it right out. It was basically just a big grape seed wrapped in kind of a very sour uh, grape skin, that's about as close to, the grape, uh, to a real grape that you would recognize from the grocery store, or that the, especially that this child would recognize from the grocery store, as this thing got. Wild grapes, um, when they are not pruned or tended or taken care of in, in any way, as these weren't, are not actually very good for 
doing the things that we like to do with grapes, which would be eating them and making juice and potentially wine from them, or jam, or pie, or... Mm. But this kid was like, whoa! That was the experience that he or she had with, with this grape from the grapevine. Um, by the way, if you go on YouTube, uh, you can find some really interesting videos about how to prune a grapevine. I'd never really seen that before, and so I looked it up this week, and it's pretty interesting. Um, today's Bible text comes from John chapter 15, and it's a teaching of Jesus in which he uses grapevines as a central metaphor to teach his disciples, and I would say to teach us as well, about the life of faith. Now, as many of you know, we are returning to the book of John for, I think, the 10th or 11th time in the past several years. We do four, five, six weeks at a time with John, and we just kind of go through it one little section at a time. And um, we're getting closer to the end. We're in the teens now of chapters. We're just starting chapter 15 today. And... I would encourage you again today, as I did last week, to read the Gospel of John at least up to the point that we are studying right now, so at least up through chapter 15. I'm hoping that um, before I go on vacation in late July that we'll get through chapter 15, but we'll see how it breaks out. Um, Because even if you've been an artisan the whole time, when we did John 1-1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was, was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and moved in the neighborhood, all that stuff... Way back whenever that was, in the 90s probably, um, you, pr- you, you may have forgotten all of that because it's been so long. We've done so many things in between. So please do go back in your own Bible reading time and read John 1 through 15 at least, and that way all of this stuff will be fresh. And as I go through what we're talking about today, you'll, you'll kind of see one of the reasons why it might be good to refresh your memory. Um, but you remember, if you were here last week, that Jesus had this very interesting encounter with his disciples where he was saying goodbye to them, basically. Even though they weren't about to part from one another right away, it was one of those goodbyes that you've all had at some time in your life where you know it's not the last time you'll see somebody, but you're pretty sure it's the last time you'll get a chance to say the things that you need to say to them. And so Jesus was saying some of those things to his disciples. And they're in the house together preparing to go into the holy city of Jerusalem for Passover. And he seemed to know this was his last chance to say some things to them. So he promised them that after he was gone, he would send them the Holy Spirit. And uh, he promised them peace. He said, my peace I give you. A peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. And then he said, and you remember this, rise, let us be on our way. Right in the middle of this really kind of unsettling conversation about how he was going to be gone and leave and what they would need to do in the wake of that departure. He says, okay, get up, let's go. And then, starting in verse 1 of chapter 15, he keeps talking. (laughs) Have you ever been with somebody who's like, all right, enough, let's get going, and then just keeps talking? (laughs) Have you ever been that person? We've all had that kind of conversation where it's like, okay, it's really late, we've got to get going. We're having a really deep conversation right now about i got to get to bed, or i got to go to work, or whatever it might be. And you stand up to go, and then you just keep talking. (laughs) And he keeps talking, and talking, and talking. And as far as I can tell, they don't leave the room until the end of chapter 18. And there's a big, long, fancy prayer in there for them and everything. So it seemed like the conversation was at an end point last week, but it wasn't actually. It was just just a pause, just a break. And now it continues. So let's look at John 15, 1 through 11. Now, 
If you are a visual learner, I'm going to encourage you to open your Bibles or one of these red Bibles, which are pretty much everywhere in the sanctuary, and find um, John 15. Uh, these Bibles it would be page 878. Um, if you're an auditory learner, I'm going to ask you to listen very carefully because there are what I would say an abnormally high number of key repeated words in this passage. And also, there are a couple of verses that are um, potentially going to be quite hard to accept. And that's what I want you to watch out for as I read this passage. Words that are repeated and verses that might be hard to accept. So let's read John 15, 1 through 11. I am the true vine... And my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You've already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. All right, so why don't we start with the verses that are hard to accept. Who has one? You can shout out the number, or you can say the words that were two. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Anybody else pick verse two? Six takes verse two and adds a little bit of uh, heat to it, doesn't it? Verse six says, Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned... Uh, excuse me, I'd like the warm, fuzzy Jesus back, please. (laughs) And how about the very next verse, verse 7? Some of you, I guarantee this, some of you find the next verse, which actually seems like a lovely promise, way more disturbing than the one about being cut up and tossed into the fire. Verse 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. If you ever read that verse and took it to mean that Christians could use the power of their faith in Jesus to get whatever they want, you could be forgiven for finding verse verse 7 of chapter 15 deeply disturbing, maybe even to the point of being very painful to read. Because isn't it true that the reality of life is that sometimes we pray to God for something and we don't get it? Raise your hand if that has never happened to you. Okay, podcast listeners, there are zero hands. Well, we are going to come back to these two verses, verse 6 and verse 7, I promise. 
But first what I want to do is take a look at some of the words that are repeated in the passage. Now this is a very good technique for studying the Bible if you've never done this. If you're studying a passage and want to get a little deeper with it, it can be helpful to write down or to, to underline the words that are repeated. And sometimes you can use different colored highlighters or like different, you circle one and you put a rectangle around one and a triangle, whatever you like, whatever visual way you like to do it as you're studying would work. Um, I'm going to go get the whiteboard here. Now if you're just visiting here at Artisan, we are not typically a whiteboard church, but... Um, it's not going to get too heavy, don't worry. I'm not going to draw a mural of the end times or anything like that. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> we'll do flannel graph again someday, but <laughs> probably not about the end times either. Sorry. <clears throat> All right. So as you were looking at that verse or hearing me read that verse, what were some of the words that were repeated many times? Shout them out, please. Abide. That one right here. Fruit. I like that. Fruit. Yes, and there's a verb there with it. Bear fruit. We'll put that in little letters in parentheses. Thank you, Penny. I can't write small letters sideways. Sorry, everybody. Bean fruit. Bear fruit. There we go. What other words did we see? Uh, Vine. And what did somebody else say? Branch. Okay. Anything else? Sorry? Me and my. Those are great, and I'm going to um, exempt the whiteboard from two-letter words this time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to buy a vowel. Um, No, uh, we did this once, and somebody said a small word like that, and I was like, oh, the small words don't matter. And then I realized, whoa, the small words really do matter. And ever since, I've encouraged people to look at the small words, and maybe you've heard me say that before, Penny. But on this occasion, we're going to leave my off the whiteboard, although it's very interesting to think about all the things that Jesus says are his in this passage. That would be another sermon, though. Love. Thank you. And thus, thus concludes the writing of the whiteboard. All right. <laughs> Why? Because I have five words I want to talk about, and I'm the pastor. <laughs> So what Jesus is doing here, he's using a lot of figurative language, which is to say metaphor and symbol and all that kind of stuff. Um, to, uh, so, so figurative language like vine, branch, fruit, to teach his disciples what it means to follow God. And in the first two verses of the passage... Um, all of the images that make up the metaphor are established. You have the, the vine, who he says is Jesus himself, the vine grower, who is his father, and then two types of branches, as we noted with perhaps some trepidation a moment ago, branches that bear no fruit and branches that, that do bear good fruit. And since the purpose of a grapevine is to produce fruit... It is the fruit that I would say uh, is the key to understanding what Jesus is trying to teach here in this little passage. Right? So the shade that a grapevine produces might be nice for your wiffle ball game <laughs> or your cookout or whatever you do in the backyard. But the purpose of the grapevine is to produce grapes. It's to, it's to bear fruit. Now here's an important thing about how grapevines work. <laughs> Um, grapes can't make themselves. <laughs> um, 
the branches on the vine can't just say, I want fruit and make the fruit. The branch's ability to bear the fruit comes from its connection to the, the vine, the, the trunk of the, of the plant. And so a grapevine branch can only flourish insofar as it is connected to the base of the vine, the vine itself, right? Which means um, no solo branches, right? Uh, how many of you have ever said, like, oh, the church, oh, these people are so awful. I love Jesus. Um, I'm just going to go off by myself <laughs> and do this thing. Now, I, I understand I'm not making light at all of people who have experienced spiritual trauma or abuse. And sometimes you have experienced that and you need to be away from the church. And the, the, the sound of the sermon or even of the music is just literally painful to you. Uh, so I don't make light of that. I don't dismiss that at all. Some of you have had that experience and you're just barely able to walk back in here and now you're hearing me talk like this and you're like, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have come here. So don't hear me saying that. What I am saying, though, is to those of you who have not had that experience, who just kind of get annoyed with the, the fact that the church is made up of people, uh, <laughs> and you're like, well, I could do this better by myself. I'm sorry. When a branch is disconnected from the vine, what happens to it? It withers and dries up, and then somebody comes and collects it. So no solo branches. So the strength and the ability to bear fruit, which is, which is your purpose, is derivative of and dependent on your connection to the vine, which is why the central instruction in this teaching is to stay close to the vine. And what word does he use to say, stay close to the vine? Abide. How many of you have said the word abide this week before we sang the song earlier? Right. Abide is not a word that is in our vocabulary most of the time. Uh, I'm, I bet many of you have used the Greek word, though. So uh, how many of you said meno this week? M-E-N-O, right? <laughs> that is the Greek word that is translated here as abide. Um, and the reason I say that is because it's kind of a, a rich word. It's one of John's favorite words, by the way. The word meno is used 33 times in the Gospel of John. And the word can have a few um, related but slightly different meanings. It can mean abide or live, but it also means remain or stay. Or if you wanted to get a little bit more poetical, it could mean tarry. <laughs> And it often occurs to me how, how beautiful and deep that word is when it's used in this kind of way, as in chapter 15, talking about abiding in Jesus. Meno, to use the Greek, in Jesus. Could mean live in Jesus. Could mean stay in Jesus. Could mean remain. Could mean abide. And the reason I think that is so beautiful is because of all the people in this room, I bet that the different intricacies of that translation might be more, and more or less meaningful to some of you at different times, right? So some of you, having never made any kind of uh, step of faith or expression of your trust in Jesus or your intention to follow him, um, <clears throat> the idea of, of the uh, teaching being to live in Jesus, to make your home there, has this sense of um, initialization, that this is, a, this is a first time thing. And some of you are at that place where you're, you're just on the edge of faith and you're, you're trying to decide whether... To, to stay or go, if you will. <laughs> and staying means like opting in for the first time. Live in Jesus. Do 
Do you hear that call? Do you hear Jesus inviting you to live uh, in Him and in His way? Others of you in the room do have some kind of historical faith moment or commitment. Maybe it was a period of years or decades. And right now, you're kind of sort of standing by the door, wondering if maybe it's time for you to make your Irish goodbye to this whole religion thing, right? Do you know what the Irish goodbye is? It's when you just leave a party without saying goodbye to anybody. I highly recommend it, actually. (laughs) Um, Because otherwise, what happens is you get these conversations that last through chapter 18, and then nobody wants that at a party. Well, some people do, but not me. Um, Anyway... So some of you might be kind of inching toward the door of your faith and wondering if it's time to get out of here. And for you, the word remain or stay might be poignant. Do you, do you hear Jesus pleading, assuring you that he actually does want you to stay with him, to stay with the body of Christ, maybe? And some others may be drawn to that more archaic word abide, even though you don't use it in your everyday vocabulary, probably. It does... Uh, appear in some of our most well-loved songs, and so you might like it for that reason. And also, it does seem to have an inherent stillness. The connotation is sort of very peaceful, isn't it? Abide. And maybe right now you hear Jesus asking you to be quiet and to be still, to stay still. So, however you translate the word, the teaching is to abide in Jesus, to, to, to stay or remain or live in the vine so that you can produce fruit because that's the only way that branches produce fruit is in their connection to the vine. So I promised you we would come back to those two difficult verses, um, 6 and 7. And somebody said 2, um, but I think 6 is sort of the same thing as 2 but with a little bit more, uh, more pain in it perhaps. And I think the key to understanding these hard verses is to remember the broader purpose of this teaching, as I just explained. So let's take verse 6. This is the verse that says that branches that don't bear fruit are are cut away and discarded and they wither and die and they're gathered up and thrown into the fire. They're, They're cut off and burned up. I think it's important to remember here that Jesus' analogy is about how to increase fruitfulness. All of this metaphorical language, which leads into the understanding of how to follow God, is about fruitfulness. The, the whole metaphor is about bearing fruit. Right? And the nature of grapevines is that most of the branches happen to be cut away and are not part of the picture anymore. If you go to one of those YouTube videos about the, uh, pruning, pruning a, a grapevine, I was amazed at how much they cut off. They cut off like 90% of the year's growth to get back down to just the the branches that are closest to the center and the ones that are most likely to produce the most fruit. But I don't think it's necessarily helpful to to read far into the part about how the branches are cut away because the point of the, the metaphor is not what happens to the branches that are cut away. The point of the metaphor is what happens to the branches that stay, that remain, that abide. And those are the ones that become fruitful. In the very beginning, he says, I am the vine, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. Do you notice he didn't say my father is the vine burner, right? 
As a matter of fact, it's not the father who, the vine grower who burns the vine. It doesn't sound like. Did you see that, like, the, the vine grower may cut the branches away and then someone else comes and gathers them up and, like, just don't worry about those. Those are not part of the picture anymore. The ones that we're thinking about are the ones that stay and bear fruit. And my father is the vine grower. He is working in the body of Christ, in the vine, to produce the most fruit. And while the branches don't get to just make fruit by themselves, it only happens by way of connection to the vine, it it seems from what Jesus is saying that you do get to choose to be part of the vine. So rather than focus on the part of the metaphor about the branches that are cut away, I think it's, which is not the point of the teaching, I think it's probably better to produce on, to focus on how to produce much good fruit. And you do that how? By abiding in the love of Christ. By abiding in the in the love of Christ. And in the words of Christ. This is very interesting. And it actually brings us to the second challenging verse, verse 7. Remember the verse 7 was the one that was a promise that it appears God breaks when we pray for things and they don't happen? If... if, if uh, I have to get it exactly right. It matters. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, I do not think that this verse is intended to mean that anything, anything along the lines of if you are a Christian, you can pull whatever you want out of your magic Jesus hat. A bunny rabbit, a Ferrari, a winning lottery ticket, the perfect spouse, Financial peace for your mother's cancer to be healed. For your son who served overseas and now has PTSD not to struggle with that anymore. You see, you can make the joke about Ferraris and lottery tickets, but the truth is we pray for some things that really matter to us and we don't get what we hope for every time. And to read a verse like verse 7, that's why it's painful. Now here's what I would say. It is not that Jesus doesn't care about those things. Jesus cares about those things. It's just that that's not what this teaching is about. What is this teaching about? It's about bearing fruit. It's about fruitfulness, which we achieve by our proximity and connection to the vine, Jesus, and the vine grower, the Father. And if you think about what comes before and actually after this, being close to the Holy Spirit. It's very Trinitarian as it happens. So the same caveat that I gave for verse 6, I will give for verse 7. Understand that the context of this teaching is bearing fruit. And so I would propose that one way you could read that verse, verse 7, which might be a little bit less painful and a little bit less confusing, is to connect these requests to the idea of bearing fruit in ministry and in all the things that Jesus calls us to do. And the reason I say that the, the use of the word words matters in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you want and ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. How do you ask for something, most of us? with our 
words. If Jesus' words abide in us, when we ask for something, what we will be asking for is the things that he wants. It's his will. If you're abiding in the one true vine, in other words, your entire framework of wishes gets transformed. And it's not that you don't care about family members who are ill or any of the things that we pray for. It's that this context is we want Jesus' words and heart to be in our hearts, living in us as we live in him, so that our hearts and minds are transformed, and you might even say conformed, to his heart and his mind, and so that what he desires is what we desire, and our desires are already his desires. So I think this teaching is as much about calling us to get to that point, to that place where our hearts and minds are so tied up and bound up in in Christ's heart and mind that the things that we want are one and the same with the things that he wants. I think this teaching is as much about getting to that place as it is about bearing specific fruits that you might imagine or think about or about the consequences of of not bearing fruit. This is one of the things I love about John's gospel, by the way. It is so relational. You can, you can read it, and you, you, it just draws you in close to Jesus. And if I can, if I can um, get slightly personal right now, this is a lesson that I think God is teaching me right now uh, in my own life. Um, I had a, a meeting with my spiritual director this week, and um, she was kind of helping me with, with prayer. And, and the fact that I feel like sometimes my expectations about what prayer should be, I'm not able to meet them. And I, I feel like um, even, even if I was just a Christian, I should be doing better at prayer. And especially since I am a pastor, I should be doing better at prayer. And she encouraged me to uh, broaden my understanding of prayer to just being with Jesus. Maybe right now in this time of your life, she said to me, um, doing all these things that you think are the things you're supposed to do every time you pray is not what God wants from you. It's not how you will get close to God. Maybe you just need to sit and be with Jesus by doing whatever it is you're doing in that moment and imagining him there with you. This was a great relief to me. I don't know if it's freaking you out, but... (laughs) That's why I say, I think, I think that a big part of what Jesus is saying here is that just get close to him. That's, that's enough. That's the point. The fruit will come. The fruit doesn't come because you're like, oh, I want to be a big grape today. <laughs> the fruit comes because you're closer and closer and more tightly connected to the vine. So if you're not bearing fruit in your life right now, and if that's causing you, God forbid, to worry that you're going to be cut away and discarded and withered up and thrown into a fire and burned, let me reassure you that is not at all what Jesus is teaching right here. Now, we have to deal with some other difficult teachings of Jesus that might actually get us closer to that place, to be perfectly honest with you. But that's not what this is about. Today, John 15 calls you and calls me simply to abide to get closer and closer to Jesus, however that might look for you. And the fruit comes when you're close to him. 
period. There's, there's nothing you can do about that except to try to get closer to Jesus. <clears throat> and then finally, love. The fifth word on the whiteboard. As the passage closes, Jesus fires off the word love five times in, in two verses. The Father's love for Jesus, Jesus' love for his disciples, the need to abide in that love, love as the indication that you're keeping the commandments. Love, 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 love. And in next week's passage, he has a lot more to say about love. And so I think you should read it, (laughs) because that's the time that we have today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to get closer to you. We want so badly to see the the good fruit that you call us to bear. Sometimes it's out of the purest of motives. Sometimes it's out of the desire to be seen as productive. Sometimes it's out of that pride. Sometimes it's out of fear of what will happen if we don't. Help us to know and to be reassured that our only task is to abide in you, to live in you, to stay, to remain, to abide. Slow us down from our need constantly to be trying to achieve and instead Help us to hear your call simply to sit with you and be with you. And to trust that abiding in your love is the only way that we bear fruit anyway. We give you thanks for this beautiful truth and ask for your help to accept it. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, speaking of the fruit of the vine (laughs) and of sitting with Jesus and staying with him, I invite you now to come and receive Holy Communion. Uh, At Artisan, we practice communion every week. It is for us the method, the way that we come to be abiding in him because it allows him to abide in us. And so... If you're following Jesus, uh, I invite you to come. Receive a piece of the bread. Remember his body which was broken for you. Dip it in the wine or the juice, whatever would be more appropriate for you. And remember his blood which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. You've already been cleansed by the word that he spoke. And receive it into your own body as food for your soul. Spiritual nourishment, sustenance that he offers and provides unfailingly. Uh, If you are not following Jesus right now and would like to observe, nobody will look sideways at you. Please just stay comfortable and think or pray or meditate. If you'd like to receive personalized prayer, there'll be a member of the prayer team at the back of the room. We'll be happy to pray with you and for you. Uh, And your children are welcome to take communion with you as well. 
or you can go get them right after you take it if you prefer. When our table is open, come and receive the meal that he offers. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.